Good morning. I feel like, uh, good morning, Desi. I feel like a, I feel like a character caught uh, <laughs> in one of C.S. Lewis's stories, you know. Um, last weekend, I was in a city called Medellin, which they call the Eternal Spring. And I've come back to my city, <laughs> city of eternal winter. And there's some story that talks about that. Like, I feel like, I feel like this is a, it's pretty brutal on folks. You doing okay? You guys doing okay? Well, there's not kind of knocking some of you guys out just going, I just don't want to live anymore. Anybody? No? Not too bad? Okay. Um, yeah, I was in a city called Medellin last week, and uh, it was a great time. Just to let you know what I did. Uh, by the way, I don't know how the word got around. Michael Washington was my translator. Who? How did that get, get around? He knows like one more Spanish word than I do, okay? So there were no translating for me at all. I think I translated from him, actually. Um, it, was, uh, it was four days. I did two things. One, I spent some time with um, some young adults, young adult leaders, actually, in that city. Um, some of them are part of covenant churches, part of our denomination. Some are not. There's, there's a, a renewal, revival, whatever word you want to use, going on in, in Medellin. And, and, and the thing is, there's nothing in terms of just spiritual, just... You know, and so these people are so hungry, man. Like spent uh, spent a whole day with, with these leaders, and, and I just talked about the difference between religion and gospel. You know, and for anybody that thinks that's just like a North American thing that some of us that grew up in church are kind of tired, you know, and so we need this refresher reminder. No, I I'm not even exaggerating. Two hours. There's a group of like twelve. Two hours. They didn't go to the bathroom. They didn't blink. It was just like, you know, the whole time, whole time. It was. Just, kind of scary actually I wanted to go whoa just to make sure that you know it's two hours of just and uh, afterwards they said you have more I said oh man I do but uh, I'm gonna have to come back and so actually I'm going back in July for like a two-day youth conference type of thing young adult conference a couple hundred young adults from the city Um, I think it's gonna be really really powerful I'm looking for a translator to come with me. So as long as you buy the ticket, you, you know, do everything because and, and you, you love Jesus and you want to serve Jesus. But you want to translate for me? I'm looking for a translator to come with me, okay? So uh, talk to me after service if you want to come. Um, the other thing that I did while I was there was also spend some time with covenant pastors, indigenous Colombian pastors who are pastoring churches. A lot of them pastoring churches, 50, 70 people in poorest of the poor neighborhoods. Um, but just loving Jesus and loving their people. It's just, I mean, I come back from these things, guys, going, man, we are so spoiled, you know? I just, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, I just come back from these, I'm like, oh, gosh, you know? Like, we complain if it's like, oh, it's a little cold in here, you know, or if oh, it's a little too hot in here. I mean, these people have n- very little, not nothing, very little, and yet they just love Jesus, and it doesn't bother them doing ministry. I tell you what. Pretty powerful stuff. Okay, well, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Uh, we are continuing our, our, uh, our, our journey. Um, you know how we've been kind of going fast uh, through, the, through the last two, three weeks? Well, we're going to slow down now, okay? <laughs> it's like, what? What? We're going to slow down. We're going to slow down because uh, this story, which is so famous, and, and I had Daniel Laspada and a couple other people come up say to me today, I can't wait for today's sermon, because this is like one of my favorite passages. It's certainly one of the most familiar, conversion of Saul, 
from Tarsus, you know. Uh, but I, I, I need to slow down because there's like a lot of theology here. There's so much theology that's packed in here that, that I, I want to make sure that, you know, we take advantage of this opportunity, okay? So you'll know what I'm talking about as we launch. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Let's go ahead and read the passage first. Get familiarized with the story again in case you haven't read it in a while. Verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found there any uh, any there who belonged to the way, so what they were sort of calling the Christian movement at this time, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Verse 5, who, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. This is God's word. Okay, guys. So here's what we're talking about today and next week. We're talking about Acts 9, and we're going to talk about conversion. Say that with me. Ready? Conversion. Like you you like the word, actually. Say it. Ready? Conversion. Uh, Christianity... Christianity is, 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 is about conversion. Christianity is about radical transformation. Christianity is about God doing something in us where he changes our identity. He changes our entire being. He changes the very core of who we are. Why is it important? It's important because for many of us, when we think Christianity, we don't think conversion. We don't think transformation. You know what a lot of us think? A lot of us think Christianity, moral reformation. A lot of us think Christianity, we think, I become a Christian, God kind of does his thing. I become a better person. I become a nicer person. I behave better. True? We have no idea how, how profound and powerful con- conversion and Christian transformation is. What God does in us, you see, when we are converted, what God does in us, and I'll talk about that, what God does in us when we are converted, what God does in us when we become a Christ follower is not just that he makes us better people, nicer people who don't swear anymore, you know, don't get as angry as, you know, he comes in and he changes us from inside out. There is a radical transformation, I know, I know, I'm saying this already and of course you guys are going, Whatever. Because I'm saying all this, and coming up against it is your experience. You're sitting there going, it happened to me. I've been a Christian for a while. Transformation, change, identity. Transformation is a little bit more complex than that. But, but here's one thing you can't, you can't. C.S. Lewis said this. Mere Christianity. He, he described it. He's like, when we think, when a lot of Christians think transformation, here's what, here's what they think. They think, you know, God, I have this little cottage, this little house, and I just want you to come, you know, and do a little touch-up, you know, paint here. You know, and, and God's like, I'm not about that, you know? See, see, what, what we think when we become a Christian is this, God, can you come and help me with my agenda? And God's coming and going, what? I'm going to help you with your agenda. I'm coming to give you a whole new agenda. Uh, God, can you come and help me be a better king? What? Do you see what I'm talking about? See, this is the reason why I say in this church a lot, if you're a Christian, then you have to have had an experience where you feel like your life is being wrecked. If you go, 
I have no idea what you're talking about. You might not be converted. And I'm not being, you know, religious. I'll explain. Why? Because think about it. The creator of the universe comes into our life. Okay? I don't know about you all, but I've got a will of my own. You know what I'm saying? I like doing my own things. I like kind of thinking my own, doing my own things. And when that thing comes up against the creator of the universe who comes says, it's not about your will anymore. It's about my will. My life feels like what? It's being wrecked. For some of us, we're at the center of the universe, you know? Everybody else revolves around us. You know what I'm saying? That's how we live. We think that's how it ought to be. Well, the creator of the universe comes and says, mm-hmm. I'm coming to your life so that I can be one of the people. Who no! He comes and says, I'm going to replace you from the center. And, I'm, and that feels like your life is what? Being wrecked. You see what I'm saying? See? It, it, conversion. Conversion. Here's the great news about conversion, though. You know what the Bible also says? Because of what God does, there's not a single person anywhere under any circumstances who's beyond the reach of God. I'm going to say that again. There is no one anywhere. <laughs> I was gone one week. You guys got to get adjusted to my volume, okay? <laughs> my preaching noise. Bring it, okay. No one any, under any circumstance. I don't care what Bible says. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you plan to do tonight. The Bible says no one, not one single person is beyond the reach of God, beyond the reach of the gospel. He That's the good news. No heart is too hardened for God to break through. No one is too lost for God to find. No one is too evil for God to forgive. Nobody. Conversion. We're talking about conversion. Since y'all aren't going to come to me, I'm going to come to you, okay? Nobody wants to sit up front. I understand. You don't want to be baptized by my spit. I get it. It's okay. Okay, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to incarnate myself amongst y'all, okay? Here we go. All right. Conversion. Conversion is, the word itself isn't found. Can we, can we do some like theology today? Is that okay? Okay, I, I say this sometimes, you know, I throw out these words. I, I want you to think for a little bit, okay? I had somebody come to me today after the 9 o'clock service and said, that sermon was very thorough. I'm like, thorough? Wow. I wanted to go, did it wreck you? <laughs> you know, thorough. Like I wanted to wreck you. I wanted to wreck me. I, this is God's word. Okay. Conversion. Conversion is a word in the Bible that appears very seldom in English, English Bible. So, but that doesn't mean that conversion is absolutely central to, the, to, to, to what it means to be a Christian. The New Testament writers use different words for conversion, okay? The book of Acts records conversion of Paul three times. In addition, it tells us the conversion of Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts 8, Cornelius in Acts 10, the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. Moreover, in Acts 15, Paul says that all the Gentiles who were entering the church were entering by conversion. Conversion is an absolutely biblical concept, biblical principle that you and I had to wrap our brains around. But there's a lot of confusion. Why? When we think conversion, some of us think born again. I know. For some of us, we don't like that word. You know, reminds us like 80s and certain political party, you know, very religious fundamentalism. Born again is a very biblical word. Jesus said it. You must be born again. So it must not be that bad. Okay? There's others like accept Jesus or believe in Jesus. And of course, the Bible also, English Bible, used the word conversion. But now, here's what conversion is. Okay? Let me just explain it as simply as I can. Conversion. When the Bible talks about conversion, there are two aspects. One is what God does. One is what we do. Okay? Conversion. And this gets to, by the way, why some of us are feeling this like dis- disconnect, like conversion, transformation, me? All right. Conversion. 
what God does. What God does is instant. It's a moment in time. You can't resist it, okay? Theologians say irresistible. You can't resist it. It's what God does when he breaks through into your life. It's instant. It's a moment in time. It's the same for everybody, okay? The word that theologians use is the word regeneration. Regeneration, okay? Regeneration is a word that theologians, what God does in conversion. Now, but here's the other thing. There's the other aspect, which is there's a part of conversion which we play a part in, Okay? And that part is not instant. It's a journey. It's a process. That part, we participate. It's not something just God does. God does, we participate. Obedience, life in word, spirit, a community, uh, spiritualism. There's a thing that we do. And it depends on people, where they're at, worldview, so on and so forth. But it's gradual. It takes time over time. Okay? Now, conversion, two sides, same coin. You with me so far? Let's talk about what God does. Because this is, this is my favorite part. Regeneration. What is regeneration? The best way to explain what regeneration is to take you back to a word that we like to use around here. It's the word palingenesia. Anybody familiar with that word? Some of you have been to our church, man. You're going, man, I love that word, Peter. Thanks for bringing it back. Palingenesia, okay? Why? Palingenesia. Let me take you back, okay? Here's what the Bible says is the end goal of creation, end goal of all things. At the end of all this, at the end of history of mankind, it's not that the Christians are going to be and go to heaven, and then the rest of the world is going to go to hell, okay? Bible doesn't say that, okay? Bible doesn't say it. The end goal of all, I know for some of you are like, oh boy, I hate it when he talks like this because he confuses all my categories of what I've been taught. Just follow me, okay? Here's what the Bible says. At the end of all things is that Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign over all of creation in perfection and beauty. Lord of the Rings, this is why such a powerful, powerful story. Because it tells the tale of what's eventually the king is going to return and all of creation is going to be healed and restored, okay? There will be a time when Jesus is going to do that, okay? Now, watch this. Jesus painted a picture of what that's going to be like in Matthew 19. Let me show you, okay? Matthew 19. Um, Can you put that up there? What Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, that the renewal of all things... You with me so far? When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now check this out, you guys, okay? Mark your Bibles there, and everybody look up here, check this out. So here's the word palingenesia. It's the word renewal, when Jesus says renewal. Here's what palingenesia was. Palingenesia was a Greek technical word, okay? Greek technical word used in philosophy. Here's what the word meant. The Greeks believed that the world as they knew it, culture, world, society as they knew it, was constantly, constantly heading towards disarray, heading towards uh, destruction, heading towards it, it becoming worse and worse. Okay? Morality, physics, everything. And so what happened is they believed in their worldly and world system, periodically the entire universe went through a cleansing process, a purging process. The entire universe went through a period where everything was healed, everything was restored, everything was made new. Not completely wiped out to build again, but everything has existed to be renewed and remain. Okay? Palingenesia. Jesus, um, Matthew 19, comes along and says, um, yeah, I like that word. Now I'm going to use it to give you an idea of what I'm doing. He says, at the palingenesia. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying, there will come a time, yes, not over and over again, but once and for all. At the palingenesia, 
There will come a time when the entire universe will go through this process of being healed, being restored, being healed, being redeemed, being made new. The entire universe. Not over and over again. When, when is that going to happen? At the renewal of all things, when, say this with me, the Son of Man sits on the throne. When is it going to happen? When Jesus Christ, he says, fulfills his promises of bringing in and fulfilling the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God. All of creation, all of creation, the entire universe is going to be healed, remade, reborn. You with me so far? That word appears one other time in the New Testament. Guess where it appears? Titus chapter 3. Paul is writing about you and me and what God does in this conversion experience. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and... uh, Andrew, you got your Greek Bible there? Okay. (laughs) Rebirth and renewal of all things. Renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Everybody, please look up here, okay? Because you need to get this. Do you know what conversion is? Do you know conversion? Do you know, do, 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 do you know what happens when we become a Christian? This <laughs> I just couldn't, I, I was speechless this morning, so I'm speechless again because we just missed it. Jesus is saying, here's what conversion is, okay? You, me, here's what conversion is. He says, you know that thing, that power, the spirit, the work of that thing. That is going to come at a point in time to restore and to renew and to heal and to fix the entire universe and make it whole, make it new. That thing is coming where? Into you and into me. Right now. As we speak. See, that's what I got at the 9 o'clock service. Oh, that's nice. What? Come on. Are you, are you paying attention? Are you, this is why we, Christianity, moral reformation, become nice. Are you kidding me? When the Spirit of God, the power of God, this is a cleanse and renew and fix the entire created order, when that thing comes into your life, you cannot help but be transformed and changed and to be made new. Holy cow. I know. For some of us, it's kind of like, really? I thought Christianity was just, you know, you become a... Palangenesea. You got palangenesea, and I got palangenesea. And it's great news, amen? It is great news. The renewal, restoration of all things. That thing is coming. See, see? Are you anybody a fan of Lost? See, the Bible believes in time travel. But it's not. Listen, we travel into the future. 
the future is crashing into our lives today. All right, I got nothing else, you know. I mean, if that doesn't like, oh, oh my, oh, oh. That's what, that's what happened to me? That's what happened to you? Really? Really? Of course we go, but man, I don't act like I've been paddling Geneseid. Like it's going to become a vocabulary in a word now, you know? <laughs> We're not going to go, have you been converted? We're going to go, have you been paddling Geneseid? Here's the reason why. You ready? Okay, so this is the work that God does. Very careful. Then there's the work that we do. And here's the challenging as well as the glorious aspect of that. The work that we do, the Bible says. The Greek word is epistrepho. It literally means to churn. To churn, Okay. So in other words, God palangenesis us one time, moment of time, does it? And then the work after that is, the Bible says, there's a constant churning. There's a constant churning. Confusingly, the, confusing, the Bible, English Bible uses, translates this word, which literally means to turn to conversion. But here's what that's getting to. What we do is we churn, but the churning is two aspects. Listen, we churn our backs towards sin. That's called repentance, okay? We turn our backs towards sin. But there's another part, and that is we turn our face towards God, and that's called faith. Do you get that? The part that we do, and this is every day, this is every second, every moment, and if you are sitting there going, why have I not changed? Why have I not been changed? Why have I not been changed? This reality of what God has done, this is such an incredible thing, but why? Because the other part is, Bible says, Jesus, Mark chapter 1, verse 14, 15, Jesus comes along and says, the kingdom of God is near. He says, repent. Turn your backs towards sin. Turn your back towards idols. Turn your back towards your old way of living. You do that. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you do that daily, regularly, moment by moment. Repentance. But repent, and he says, but believe the good news. Don't just turn your back towards sin, but turn your face towards God. That's conversion, see? That's churning. That's churning. Before conversion, we turn our backs towards God. And we turn our face towards sin. But conversion, we turn our backs towards sin. And we turn our face towards God. And I say a lot in our church, why? Because the end goal of the Christian life is not that we just stop sinning. The end goal of the Christian life is that we start worshiping. Okay? Conversion. Okay. So why is this important? So that you guys can hear a nice story about, oh, you know, conversion. That's really good. Learns. Here's why it's important, Okay? Let me just put it this way because of time and then I'll move on. We have been called to embrace an upside down living. We have been called to embrace an upside down. Kingdom of God, upside down way of living. The last shall be first. It is those who mourn who will be comforted. Blessed are the poor in spirit for there's the kingdom of God. We are a people who've been called to embrace an upside down way of living because we follow a savior who gave us a pattern for upside down way of living. He comes win salvation via losing. He comes to strength via weakness and he comes to wealth by giving it all away. And he says, I've called you individually corporately to live as this, as this dynamic life organism, as this di- life di- dynamic vibrant thing that displays what the kingdom of God is about. You are to display that to the world. You are to be people of upside down living. Now here's the thing. Let me put it as succinctly as possible. Upside down kingdom living is impossible without inside out heart transformation. Upside down living 
Caring for the least of these. Giving our lives in sacrificial service. When upside down living is a pipe dream. Don't you even attempt it. It's a pipe dream unless you have experienced inside out. Heart surgery. Heart transformation. This is why we talk about this. This is why we talk about this. Okay? This is why we're looking at this story while we're spending so much time. It's not so that you guys can go, oh, that's a great story of conversion. Boy, that isn't Paul, you know, Saul, Paul. No, we're doing this because it is at the center of everything and anything you are as a Christian and everything you do as a Christian. Inside out, heart transformation is a necessity for upside down living for Jesus. Okay? Everybody with me? All right, so we're going to spend the next two Sundays. We're going to slow down a little bit. We're going to spend the next two Sundays on the conversion of Paul. How many of you think you know this story? Some of you? Okay. The rest of you are being humble. Okay. Um, here's why this story is hard to preach. You ready? This story is hard to preach because it's so familiar. It's so familiar. It's one of those other stories where you go, is there anything in that story new that you'll be able to teach? I hope so. I hope so. But here's the other reason why, more, maybe more important, more critically, why this is hard to preach, right? We read this, and here's what we immediately go. Oh my gosh, that's so dramatic. The light! Blindness! The voice! Fall off the horse! You know? It's like dramatic. It's like, whoa. And we look at our, our, our conversion story. Some of us were like, I was like six years old, you know? I was at a... I was, at a, I was at a Bible camp and I prayed the prayer and, and, and I don't know, I went back to my room and ate a bag of Cheetos, you know, that was it. Like, that was like, that was my conversion, you know? And I don't want to downplay that. And matter of fact, we're going to get to this. Like, like for a lot of us, for a lot, and I, me too, I'm included, like, if you had to go, when were you going to, I'm going, no, no, no. I mean, it was processed I tell you that to say this. The point of this, and Luke does it essentially, is not to say, oh my gosh, that's just, I, I, I can't, that's no application for me. Why? Because aren't you thankful that Luke records other conversions besides Paul? <laughs> he records the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. You know, no light there, you know. Uh, Cornelius in Acts 10, where Paul seemingly just comes and just shares the gospel. Uh, Lydia in Acts 16. She was converted through a Bible study, you know, groups and give investigating God, apparently, you know, Bible study. And, and uh, there's some of you Ivy people, I was just, okay, anyway. Um, and there's, there's all kinds of conversions. So the point of this is, as we read it, you guys, it's not, you know, dramatic and well, what, this is relevant for me. The point of this is God works in different ways to bring about conversion in different people, okay? Now, what can we learn? Broad strokes today. We'll get into some depth next week. First, Christian conversion is a necessity for everyone. Christian conversion is a necessity for everyone. Why, where, where, where do we see this? Um, uh, it's interesting when I have conversations with my non-Christian friends or even people, you know, in coffee shops that I meet. Here are two things that I hear a lot, and I'll just both of them. Uh, folks, some folks in our church, uh, in our culture, <laughs> church too, our culture would say, you know what? What's really important is that you're a good person. Anybody, what's really important is you're a good moral person. You're a decent moral person that you do good things. Uh, let me introduce you to Saul, who says, I was the most moral, legalistically righteous person that ever lived. Here's who Saul was, a member of the Pharisee. Pharisees distilled the Old Testament down into 600 laws, and they obeyed them 
obey them to to, to perfection. Now, here's what Paul says about himself in Philippians chapter 3. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law. He says, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. And he says, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Here's a guy who says, you want morality? Here's morality. You want religion? Here's religion. You want somebody who does the things that he ought to do? Here it is, faultless. And yet, he needed to be converted. He needed to be converted. There's another thing I hear about a lot in our culture. I have some people who go, it's not really important what you believe as long as you believe with all of your heart. Anybody? It's not really important what you believe as long as you're really sincere. Now, I don't want to pick on you if that's you here today. I'm glad. But I just want to throw this question at you. Is that really true? Is that really logical? Is it really true to say it's not matter what you believe as long as you believe it with all your heart? Hitler believed whatever he believed with all of his heart. And he was wrong. Can we agree on that? Okay. I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe not. It absolutely matters what you believe. It's illogical. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe with all of your heart. Let me give you an illustration of what this is like. Illustration I heard. Two people, two women go out skating, ice skating. One person goes on one inch of ice. She says, I've got no problem. Woo, here I go. Another woman says, I'm going to skate on four inches of ice. I don't know if four, I don't know if that holds. I'm not sure. I hope so. Both go ice skating. One dies, one lives. Who dies? One with a lot of faith who lives. Well, no, I'm not so sure. The difference, it's not their faith. The difference is what? It's the ice. I'm sorry, does that make any sense? Okay. It makes sense up here, but you know, I'm not all right up here sometimes. So I just, <laughs> I'm like, that makes perfect sense. The, it, it absolutely matters what the object of your faith is. And by the way, if you're not a Christian here, I just say this, you know, people come and say, Christian, why are y'all so narrow-minded, you know? Listen, we might be right or we're dead wrong, but we're not narrow-minded. To say that Jesus Christ is the way, truth, and the life, we might be dead wrong. Or we might be right, but it's not narrow-minded to say. Christian conversion is a necessity. So let me apply it this way. Some of y'all sitting here going, I've been to church all my life. I grew up in church. And not the issue. Have you been converted? Some of you say, I'm a really good person. I'm really, you don't understand. I give a lot to the poor. I, I, I'm a good citizen. I come to church. Uh, not the issue. Question, have you been converted? Christian conversion is a necessity for everyone. Second principle, broad strokes. Let's look at the text and read a few verses. Verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him letters for the synagogues in Damascus. Damascus, just for your geography sort of, uh, you know, buffs, is 170 miles northeast of Jerusalem. That's a long haul. Here's what I see happening. When Paul was breathing out murderous threats, here's a guy who gets up in the morning. He goes, got to kill them Christians. He's on the horse. 170 miles is a long time. You know what I mean? We'll take it this next week. He's on the horse. It's hot. It's sunny. There's only one thought going through his mind. Got to wipe this thing out. He goes to bed. Wipe this thing out. 
so that if any found who would belong to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. This is so obvious, but I got to put it up here. Here's a second principle this teaches. You ready, you guys? Christian conversion is a possibility for anyone. Is this an amen to anybody? Can I make a confession? I've never told this to anybody, but I need to kind of get this off my chest. Say, go ahead, Peter. Come on, we play this game together. Please, this morning, okay, say, go ahead, Peter. Okay, so, he, he <laughs> so here's, here, here's this pastor of yours, right? I have to confess this morning. Do you know that I actually walk around and I get into this mode where I go, you know, those people are kind of likely to become a Christian. <laughs> and then those people, ain't no chance in the, anybody, am I the only one? Christian conversion is a possibility for anyone. Here's Paul, Saul. He's breathing out murder threats. Any of your friends breathing out murder threats against you lately? So they're not all that hopeless, are they? Here's a guy breathing out murder. And you know the other thing is? Saul represents the kind of non-Christian that we're intimidated by. He's very intellectual. He's very smart. He's a cultural elite. Been to the best schools, okay? He's a leader. He's a man of power. Not only that, but he's hostile. He's not just neutral. He's hostile towards you and the Christian faith. He's like this guy that I kind of run into once in a while at this coffee shop I hang out at. One day I was talking to a, 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 one guy in our church who, who, was, who brought his non-Christian friend, and the three of us wanted to talk. And this non-Christian friend has, had a ton of questions about science, like the Big Bang Theory and all that. And I, I don't know a whole lot about science, okay? So I'm sitting there and we're talking. He's asking me all these questions, you know, and I find myself saying, I don't know. I don't know. Jesus loves you, though. I don't know, you know. I, you know, I'm slightly exaggerating, okay? I mean, I'm talking to him. I'm trying to engage in the conversation. He's asking all these questions about physics and all this. I'm like, ah, I guess I got to go home and read more books, more books. I need to, you know, on, on this thing. And the whole time we're talking, and then there's this dude who's sitting next. He looks over. He snickers, and he goes, you Christians are so stupid. Thank God the Holy Spirit was at work that day. <laughs> you know, the HG, as my wife says, is kind of like, Chief Peter, you know. Because you know what, that just, that just, this, um, so you know what, this is so embarrassing to share, but I got to tell you guys, this is me. So when I see him at coffee shops, I don't even bother saying hi. I don't even bother talking to him. You know why? I'll be completely honest with you guys. You know why? I have intentionally or unintentionally put him in this category of unlikely ever to become a Christian. Let me tell you what the gospel of Jesus Christ says, and it will remind me this week. Ready? No one, anywhere, under any circumstances beyond the reach of God. Amen? Nobody, anywhere, under any, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where they have been. Nobody, nobody, the Bible says, is beyond the reach of God and the gospel. Nobody's too lost for God to find them. Nobody's too hard-hearted for God to break. And, and here's this, here's this. Sometimes it's not that they're lost or they're hard-hearted. Sometimes it's stuff that they're doing. What do I mean? You ever just look at some people and go, oh my gosh, why, why would God want to forgive them? What do you think? They're just too evil and beyond God, even God. You know, God says, God says nobody is too evil. 
Nobody is beyond the reach of the gospel of Jesus. Do you believe this? Let me ask you something. Okay, so how would this change your perspective then? How would this change your perspective about you, about the world that you live in, your campus, your family members for crying out loud? Yes, your family members. Oh, you don't know my dad. God does. You don't know my grandfather. God does. Nobody anywhere under any circumstances is beyond the reach of God. Would this change the way we pray? I'll tell you why I don't pray for people that are not in Christian. Either I don't care, which is another sermon in and of itself, or I don't believe that my prayer will make a difference. As you're sitting there today, can you think of people in your life right now who maybe you've put in the unlikely category and then you got the, you know, the likely category. People that use it, you know, beyond redemption, beyond the reach of God. Yeah, yeah, those people have a lot of, but can, can I just tell you something? Yeah, this is a little side thing. Do you, you know what I've noticed sometimes when I look at history, history of, of, of the world? Do you know that sometimes it is the least likely people that God redeems and uses the most powerfully? It's amazing to me. Happens over and over and over again. Who are the people in your life? Seriously, come on, come on, think with me. This whole sermon is church. Who are the people in your life going, they're too evil for redemption? God says, nobody is too evil for redemption. They're too hard hearted for redemption, God. Nobody is too hard. God, they're too lost. And they're, nobody is too lost. Christian conversion is a possibility for anyone. I had a great story I'll share with you guys towards the end from. Uh, from Sandra, from her uh, urban outreach program this week. And we'll get to that. Oh, one other thing. One other thing about this Christian conversion possibility for everyone. Uh, so, so, so one of the encouragement that I get, I, get, I get out of this, and you already know this, but just a reminder, it's not our job to convert anyone. Okay? It's not our job to convert anyone. So chill out. You know, chill out. I want to be humble. You know, don't be like, I will convert you. Don't... The Bible says, it's not your job. It's not your job. It's not your job to convert. God, the Spirit does that. So be humble about it. Secondly, also be confident about it, though. As you're ministering, as you're witnessing, as you're sharing your faith the gospel with somebody, you're going, God, I'm not smart enough. I'm, it's me in that, you know, coffee shop with that guy answering all these I'm not smart. I'm not eloquent enough, God. I don't have the tools enough, God, to answer all the questions and all the doubts that he has. And God, the Holy Spirit, says, mm, it's not your job. It's not your job. It's my job. It's my job. And I need to remind remind of this this weekend in Colombia too, you know. I was at this church preaching and stuff like that. And the Holy Spirit just prompted and said, there are people here that don't know Jesus. You need to. And I just said, no, God, I don't want. Why? Because here's the thing. No pastor likes to help you. There's some of you who need Jesus and you need to give your life to him. Come on up. Come on. You know, you're sitting there going, um, 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 um. And the Holy Spirit just said, it's not your job. It's his. It's his. Okay? All right. Look at verse three. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That verse is just so loaded. We're going to come pick that up next week after we were done today and then, and then unpack it. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Here's the great news about the gospel and Christian conversion. 
Again, none of these are like amazing insights you never knew, but it's just a great reminder as we think about conversion and, and, and the rest of the, the book of Acts is this. Number three, Christian conversion is initiated by God himself. Christian conversion is initiated by God himself. John, let me put up a couple of verses. John 4, uh, 6, 44, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Nobody, the Bible says. John 15, 16 says, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and I've appointed you to go and bear fruit. The Bible is absolutely consistent, you guys, and clear on this whole thing. We in ourselves, in our fallen nature, are incapable of seeking God. The same Paul would write the book of Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And right after he says, no one seeks God, not one. In our nature, we have absolutely no capability. Seek God, search for God, anything. If we're seeking God, why is that? Because God is seeking us. If we're searching after God, why is that? Because God has been searching after you. If you say, I'm thinking about pursuing God, why? Because God has been pursuing you. If you're not a Christian here today, okay, this is the reason why gospel is just so, so powerful to me as compared to religion. You know what religion says? CNN recently had its program. As they talk about all the religions of the world, and, and it's, it's the title of the main thing is Humanity's Search for God. That's what the world thinks when we think of religion. It's humanity's search for God. It's a man's attempt to connect with God. It's man's attempt to, to, to seek God. The gospel of Jesus Christ comes right around, turns it upside down, says, here's the gospel, ready? It's God's searching after you. It's God's seeking after you and me. It's God pursuing after you and me. And Jesus had the audacity to say, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like, like this shepherd who loves his sheep, right? But he'll leave the 99 in the fold and he will search day and night for that one. It's kind of like that woman, right, who loses one coin. Not very precious in and of itself, but it means a lot to her. And so she's going to turn on the light and search through her entire house until she finds it. Jesus Christ comes and says, here's the gospel, that he, the Son of God, came not to be served, but to serve and to seek and save that which was lost. Is this good news to anybody? Why are you here today? Why am I here today? Because we sought after God? Because we searched after God? Because when we were six years old, you know, we heard that sermon. Why did we hear today? Because the creator God of the universe broke through to our hardness, broke through our blindness, took the scales off of eyes and says, you're mine. That's why we're here today. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten this truth? I did. This week was so convicting for me. So convicting for me. I was on the plane in Columbia again, coming back, right? And I heard this voice. And the voice simply said, Peter, where would you be today had it not been for the grace of God? So maybe some of y'all sitting there going, well, you know, Peter, if it weren't for the grace of God, see, I'm an innately good person. I'm an innately decent person, you know? I wouldn't, you know, fly off the handle. I would, maybe that's you, and this isn't as problem. But if for anybody here who says, I know my sin nature, anybody who says, I could be out there with my face on it, anybody who says, God, if it had been for you breaking through, where would I be? This is great news. If you're not a Christian today, here's why this is also great news. You know what religion says? Byron, is this resonating with you? You know what religion says? 
And Byron and I have had really good conversations, you know, and he's getting really emotional right now, and he's making me emotional. He's sitting right up here in the front, so I can't look at him. I just got to talk like this, okay? Here's you know why Byron's going to share his testimony. Every week, every week, Byron's been an alcoholic for 20-some years. Every week, every week, every week after the sermon, he writes me an email, and he says, I can't tell you, I can't tell you what it means for me to be in this church hearing it week in and week out. And for anybody who says, oh, you know, well, Byron, you know, all I tell you is, do you know what the Bible says? Do you know, we're all addicts. We're all sinners, fallen, broken, messed up. And had it not been for the grace of God, where would we be? Where would we be? I get Byron, I'm like, God, I want more of his heart. God, I want more of his heart. I'm so freaking religious to the core. My heart is so hardened. I need you to break through. You remind me, God, that you initiated this deal. And the reason why it's such great news for someone like Byron and for anybody else in here, frankly, for that matter, is because religion says you got to clean yourself up first. Religion says you got to act right. You got to be moral. You got to do all these things before God can come to you, before God can come and rescue you, before God can come and save you, before God can come and do anything in your life. You know what Jesus Christ says? The gospel of Christ comes and says, you come as you are. You come as you don't have to clean yourself up first. You come as you are. And then I make you clean. And then I renew you, and then I restore you. And then I renew, and then I restore you. Ah, man. Sorry about that, guys. Didn't mean to get emotional there. I, I just pray the Holy Spirit would, would, would work in our hearts and, and, and really break through. Okay, let's go on. I'm, I'm almost done here. Lastly, Christian conversion is really a process. Okay? Okay. All right. Take a deep breath. Because this morning, um, I, I said the same thing. Some of you are already thinking, you see that like process, you got to be kidding, right? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna talk about that from this passage. Saul? Light, <laughs> blinded, falling off a horse, convert, process. Okay, go ahead. Give it a try. I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to give it a try, okay? Not everybody agrees with me. As a matter of fact, in my studies, half the commentators seem to agree. Half the commentators are like, that's dumb, okay? So pick whatever you choose, okay? Uh, I'm going to try to be as objective as possible, okay? We know experientially, don't we, that conversion is a process, We know that God has been at work. God does things. God, along the way, family, relationships, people, right? Experientially. It's hard to look at this text and go, really? Grace, wherever you are, come on up because I'm about done here. How how is this conversion story, a conversion story of process? Uh, And and if you're going, okay, go ahead, give it a try. Let me give it a try, okay? I'm not going to convince all of y'all. Just walk out of here and go think about it, okay? (laughs) Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. This is the third conversion story that Paul says, right? And here's what. He, he's, he's telling his own conversion story to a king. And here's what he says. He says, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Which is what we have in Acts 9. And then he says, by the way, that wasn't the whole story. Here's what happened, ready? He says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Which Saul says, then I asked, who are you, Lord? Some of y'all didn't even know that, did you? Nope. 
By the way, I didn't just make that up, okay? You all open your Bibles. It's really in there. What are goats? What are goats? Here's what the goats were. Goats? So shepherd in the Middle East had a staff. But he also had something, sometimes the same thing, but he also had something called, uh, 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 something, I don't know what it was called, but it was a stick with a pointed tip, okay? Pointed tip. And the shepherd used this, not just with the staff, but used this to pick at his sheep when the sheep was going astray. They called it this, a, a goading process. Where the shepherd, and, and, and herding his sheep, as the sheep, not animals will often tend to do, would, would kind of go off on its own, doing its own thing. And so what the shepherd oftentimes did was they go to the sheep, back into pasture, back into the field, back into the herd, back into the right path. Especially ones that were in danger. Especially the ones that were kind of trailing off, if you will. And Jesus comes and says, Saul, Saul, that's what I've been doing to you. Huh, Okay. Where? How? This is where it gets really interesting. Y'all with me so far? Okay. So nobody's sitting there going, heretic! Where'd you get that from? Okay, okay. <laughs> Here's what the commentators say, okay? Really bright people. Okay, some people are saying, commentators have made this point. There's a reason why, of all the skeptics of Christianity, nobody was more hostile, and nobody was more zealous, nobody was more passionately hot, if you will, persecuting and wiping out Christianity than Saul. Now, some people will go, well, you know what? It was for his zeal for Judaism. It was for his purity for the law, purity for the religious Judaism in the temple. That's why, okay, there were hundreds of people that felt the same way. And yet here's Saul. Here's Saul. Burning, murderous threats towards anyone who followed the way. Why? Okay. Some commentators know that what Saul was doing was he was coming close to grips with what the essence of Christianity was and then looking back at his own life. He's coming close and seeing the essence of Christianity and what Christianity was saying. And, and, and he's looking at his life, his worldview, the way he is, he is living. And his, his desire to snuff out, wipe out Christianity is to say, God, I, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to see that. I don't... It was his attempt to quiet his conscience, his attempt to quiet the conviction in his heart. You're going, okay, now I'm kind of, where do I see that? Romans 7. It's one of the most powerful passages in all the New Testament where Paul talks about this old man. Paul talks about his struggles with sin. Paul talks about this, this aspect of wanting to be God's follower, righteous or not. And here's what Paul says in Romans 7. He says, you know what? I try to follow the law. I try to be a righteous man. I try to do what the law said because in that I found life. It's in that that I found righteousness. And then he says in Romans 7, and then I looked at the 10th commandment that said, do not covet. And he said, that commandment sprang to life, his words, and it slew me. It devastated him. He looked at this commandment that he had seen all of his life, right? He said, do not covet. And it came alive and it slew him. It convicted him and it devastated him. Why? Here's Paul. He's a Pharisee. He's followed religious rules all of his life. He said, as long as I follow the rules, as long as I do what the law commands, I am righteous before God's eyes. And then he comes close to Christianity. He sees this is Christianity. And Christianity comes along and says, it's not enough that you don't commit adultery. Don't even lust in your heart. What? It's not enough that you not murder somebody. That's what you've heard. But I say to you, don't even have hatred in your heart. 
Paul comes close to the essence of Christianity and he sees, oh my gosh, it's not about outward appearance. It's not about external conformity to the laws. It's about heart. Because how do you obey? Do not covet externally. How do you obey? Do not covet by your behavior. And it, sl- it slays him because he realizes, oh, it's not about external conformity to the law. It's about a change of heart. It's about believing this. My heart It's about following God, loving God with my, with my heart. The longest sermon in the book of Acts and the most detailed is whose sermon? It's Stephen's sermon. Sucker takes up an entire chapter, 67 verses, and it's in detail. Where did Luke, the author, get that sermon from? Do you know where he got it from? Saul, who was an eyewitness, saw the whole thing. How many of you remember sermon from, how many of you have a sermon in your life that you remember in detail? Some of you got, I don't remember your sermons even from two weeks ago. Precisely. We don't. We don't remember. Why? Because, you know, that's nice information. Da, da, da. But there are times, have you been there? There are times when you're somewhere and you see something, you hear something, and it burns your soul. It burns a hole in your soul. And you remember everything about it. You remember where you were. You remember what you heard. You remember the smell, the sight, the sound. Saul is listening to Stephen preach a sermon. And Saul says what? The law is obsolete. It's not about the law. Somebody else came to fulfill the law. It's not about the temple. Somebody else has come as our high priest and given atonement for our sins. The temple is now obsolete. It's not about that. You can't do it through the law. It's through Jesus. It's through faith. And what else does Saul see? He sees this man who has what he wants. The joy, the contentment, the love. But he dies, the Bible says. Saul, Stephen dies with the face like an angel. And he's looking at Saul and his persecutors saying, God, forgive them. He's asking forgiveness for his persecutors. He's asking for forgiveness for people who hate him. And he dies like an angel. How did Saul remember the whole thing? And furthermore, he would go on. So the rest of the New Testament, what is Paul the champion of? He's a champion of the gospel of what? Grace. He lived his entire life saying to Jews and Gentiles, it's not about the law. It's about grace. It's not about the temple. It's about grace. It's not about external conforming laws. It's about grace. He came to me. He came to me, the worst of me, and saved me. And Jesus says, it's hard for you, Saul, to kick against the goats. Saul snaps and goes ballistic at the sight and the sound of Stephen's sermon in life. Next thing, he is on the road to Damascus, breathing out murder threats. And the creator God of the universe comes to him and says, I'm going to use you to be my instrument to the rest of the world. Maybe his conversion wasn't as sudden. Maybe his life God had been saying, hey, you're sitting here. You're not a Christian. And you're sitting there going, you know what? Here's why I'm not a Christian, man. My life is hard. I have no peace in my life. I'm anxious. I'm frustrated. I'm bitter. I'm angry. There's nothing going on in my life. And I just, friend, could it be? Could it be? Could it be? We just, could it be? 
that it's your creator God, not to hurt you, not to harm you. It could be your creator God coming to you, perhaps coming to you as he has been throughout your journey and saying, maybe, just maybe, just maybe, child, maybe. Maybe he's not after you, but he's after you. And he wants to, he wants to know you. He wants you to know him. Maybe he's just coming and saying, you can't anchor your life in that. You, you can't find, you can't give your life to that God because it will come and devastate and haunt you. Maybe, maybe some of you, today as you're hearing this, heart resonating, it's not just a Damascus experience. Maybe this is what you've heard for a while now. For a while. If you are a Christian, um, I think God goads us too. And, and, and let me just go ahead and, and say this before I read this uh, and tell this final story of uh, one of Sandra's students. I had a, I preached a similar message a while back, right? And I had somebody come up, a Christian come and say, Peter, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm far away. I've done all kinds of things and I know I'm a child of God. I, I want to come back. But anybody know, like sometimes you go, I don't have any desire to God. I don't know if I can will myself to do it, God. I, anybody, anybody? Yeah? I'm like, oh, just even the thought of like, what is it going to take, man? Even if you talk about conversion, what's it going to take for me to, oh, I just, I just can't. You know what I said to him? And it wasn't the Holy Spirit because I grabbed him. I grabbed him. And I said, maybe God doesn't want you to run back to him. Maybe God doesn't want you to, maybe what God wants to do is just say to you, stand still. And what God wants to do is just, don't run, just, just stand, stand still. I'll come to you. I'll come to you. And I, I, I hugged him. And he just started bawling. Maybe, maybe that's the picture image of some of you. Maybe you're just going, God, I'm so far from the whole coming back, repenting, like what I need to do. Maybe what God's saying is, child, simply just stand still. I'll come to you. One of the students that attended the Chicago Urban Cup program came because her friend invited her to participate in a service project. It's really short, you guys. Oh, the cup is a service component. It also has two days of teaching that lays a biblical foundation of how the good news of Jesus speaks to broken situations in the city. From the first day she was here, it was obvious that she wanted to have nothing to do with Christians or the church. Apparently, she comes from a crazy religious home, which was also full of abuse. So her experience with Christianity was twisted. Here was a girl that from day one was resistant to the message of the gospel. She seemed disengaged the entire time. She rolled her eyes. <laughs> I know what that's like. She disagreed with what we had to say, and she snapped back in her small group. I even had my husband, Carl, come pray for her all week and even brought him in to have another crack at her. But by the end of the week, I pretty much lost all hope. Then I read her reflection sheet in amazement. This is what she wrote, this young lady. This week has been life-changing week for me. Lately, like over the last 10 years, I've been mad at God and Christians in general for what I have been through. This week, God broke me down the second day, and I was so mad for coming on this trip. I hated God. But as the week went on, I realized that God loved me, and he allowed me to go through things for a reason to help people that had been in similar situations. 
I asked God into my heart and I felt the weight lift off my chest. I know now that God wants to use me to help people in this world and I am going to let God lead me. And this is what Sandra says, and I'll leave this with you. I never would have guessed that this incident was listening, was, that the student was listening at all, but the Holy Spirit was able to take her life and turn it around. She left a different person, full of questions still, yes, but full of healing, hope, and joy. Who knows? Maybe she'll actually be the student who most embodies the mission of God's kingdom. And then I leave this with you. I will never, ever again underestimate God's transforming power. I will never, ever again question God's transforming power. We bow heads with me. Let's pray. God, um, I guess that's my prayer for me and for all of us here. That we would never ever again, God, question your transforming power. That we would never ever again, God, question your transforming power. Lord Jesus, we pray and ask for those of us who, who, who find ourselves just completely, God, defeated, lacking faith, God, whether you can move, whether you can work, whether you can do something, God, in our hearts, perhaps even in the lives of those around us, we pray and ask that you would remind us and that by the power of your spirit, refresh our hearts anew. Help us to know that you are there. God, will you restore unto me the joy of my salvation? Will you restore unto me the joy of my salvation? God, will you restore unto me the joy of this incredible privilege of knowing that you came, you sought, you searched, you pursued me. God, it is a cry of our hearts. Lord, as we leave this place here today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you just remind us, God, gently and yet firmly, firmly, the work that you have already done in us. Give us eyes to see for some of us. Give us just eyes to see, God, indeed the work you have done, that you are at work today and that you are continuing to be at work, God. God, I pray that as we leave this place here today, that you would remind us that we are transformed people. We are changed people. We are converted people. We are people who have gone through radical palingenesia inside out and called to call. Amen. You will go ahead and clap if you want to clap. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are people who have been changed inside out and we've been propelled in the missional call for upside down living. Help us to do it for your sake, for your glory. And until we meet again, 
Until we meet again, help us to be the church, God, outside these walls. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Have a great week, you guys. And we'll see you back here next week as we continue our journey through Acts 9.